The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, rave line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch. Up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that rainbow. Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is going to do the same thing again year after year. Oh no! Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Reign of Troy Radio, coming to you on Wednesday, February fifth. It's episode 357 with me, your host, Alicia Dertola, and not Michael Castillo. Michael is out sick. He's on IR. He's on the uh, on, on rehab island. So we've brought in a pinch hitter. I'm mixing up all sorts of metaphors here. Uh, we've got Trent Goodrich, uh, a contributor for Renatro.com. Thank you for joining me, Trent. Yeah, no, it's always great to be on. And, uh, you know, I think I'm the, the lesser of the two sick people. So we're going to we're going to just roll <laughs> with it. Yeah, apparently there's some sort of uh, seasonal epidemic going on in in Phoenix. Hopefully no one has the coronavirus or anything like that. But we're trying to stay healthy, trying to stay on top of things, uh, or at least healthier than USC recruiting has been. That's basically what this episode is going to be covering. We're going to get into some of USC recruiting. We're going to talk about USC's coaching changes, and we're going to open the mailbag. So you guys know the spiel. As always, you can find us on uh, reinoftroy.com. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash reinoftroy. You can find us on Twitter, at reinoftroy. Uh, we are on I- Apple Podcasts. Tune in, Spreaker, all of the all of the above. Uh, so be sure to find us there. Leave a review; it helps us out a ton. Uh, as always, our Patreon is Patreon.com/slash Troy. That is the best way to support the show. As- aside from telling your friends and family about the show, the best way to support us is by joining the Patreon, uh, where we are. We have added a new tier to our Patreon for three dollars and thirty three cents a month. You get ad free episodes. So every episode that you hear on the main feed, you will now get in the Patreon feed uh, with no ads. You don't have to sit through those combo ads that sort of repeat the same thing twice. We know we all know how much of a frustration ads are. They pay the bills, but the other way to pay the bills is through Patreon. So if you're interested in that, go check that out, which definitely helps the show and should help with your listening of the show. And of course, if you want to get extra bonus content from us, we've got the Rock, the uh, Club 55 at 555 a month. 
And then obviously the rock crew, rock crew where you can hang out with us at Slack, talk USC, talk life, talk whatever food, anything we're, we're, we're chatting about up in there with a with a really great community of USC fans. So that's the, the spiel. Got to get it out of the way. Let's get into uh, the, the, the sort of meat of this episode, which we'll start just very basically, even before we open up the news. Trent, was it signing day? Are we sure? Oh, no. It, there's no way that it was signing day today because I I didn't even think about it really during the day. I mean, it, it came up a couple times. I'd jump on Twitter and see a couple things going on, but there weren't any mass announcements. You weren't waiting for that big five-star to tell you where he was going. There wasn't family drama that you, that you were hearing about. Uh, throughout the day so no lois disappeared <laughs> no no there, uh, it, everything's pr- seems to be set in stone at this point uh, uh, there's a couple people committing on on this date but that early signing day has really taken away the luster and i mean i i even asked uh someone i work with hey do you know it's signing day today and he was a college football player and he goes what are you're, you're <laughs> messing with me right and i'm like no today's signing day and like just no clue so it, it it took it took it from this huge this huge uh, monument uh, throughout the year to something with that's punchless. Yeah, and the sad thing is, like this is a double whammy for USC fans because it's pretty punchless in general. You know, the early signing period, which I hate for the record. Everybody already signed. Like the, there were just a handful of guys who were still available, so only a handful of schools actually had signing day theatrics in general. And then you throw in USC, who literally signed one player and had no commitments and only had one uh, player that we're going to talk about who was even interested in in including USC on the table. So it's a weird, weird day. As someone who's covered signing day for the last few years, signing day has always been the busiest day of my year uh, in terms of site traffic, but also in terms of like my workload. The week leading up to signing day, I'm frantically putting together all of the content that we have to have on the site. And normally I'm up until, you know, 3 a.m. and then I have to wake up at 5 a.m. for the early for the East Coast stuff that comes in. And I'm trying to get like a live blog done and all this kind of stuff. Normally I go to the store and pick up a bunch of energy drinks. I pick up a pack of uh, donuts, like powdered donuts, and I pick up a, a box of gushers. And those are the things that get me through the day because it's like, okay, I'm working really hard. It's stressful, but I have my comfort junk food. I didn't go to the store. I didn't buy do- powdered donuts. I didn't buy Gushers. It didn't feel justified because I went to sleep on time last night. I woke up at 7 this morning, and I could have gone back to sleep because there was nothing going on. Uh, what little did happen, we will get to uh, in a second uh, when we open up, uh, when we look at the news. Uh, but first, we're going to take a very quick break. All right, Trent, the one piece of news from Wednesday, the one thing that USC managed to do was sign Jack Yeri, a three-star tight end out of Murrieta. He is the number 383rd ranked player in the country, number 11 among tight ends. And if you recognize the name Yeri, it's because his father is Ron Yeri. So the big question coming in with this one is, what is what does signing a tight end mean when we saw USC basically not use tight ends as tight ends last year they basically use them as fullbacks so how do you look at this one well I think when you're looking at the tight ends that USC signs moving forward as long as Graham Harrell's there uh, you, you just need to have an understanding of whether 
they fit the mold of a more traditional tight end or whether they're that receiving type tight end uh, that you can split out wide in a Jimmy Graham type role a la Drake Drake London this year. Um, so if you're more of a traditional blocking tight end, um, you're probably going to find yourself more in that H-back role uh, doing some blocking for USC, USC for the most part. Um, that That's where really where you're going to fit into Graham Harrell's offense. And so uh, it's tough to get excited, I guess, about a tight end, but it is good that USC was able to um, bring back a, a commitment that they had previously lost. Yeah, and it's always good to get a legacy player. Uh, I like when the sons of former USC greats come back to USC and continue that legacy. Uh, so I do like that. What I find interesting about Jack Yeri is that uh, on 24-7 uh, Sports, Greg Biggins did his evaluation of Yeri. And he talks about how he might be able to move to the offensive line down the road if he's able to bulk up a little bit, which would be very intriguing. Him being the son of Ron Yeri, this great offensive lineman, uh, if we might see Jack Yeri slide over to the offensive line at some point. But you're right. If he wants to be a receiving option, he might not even be able to just be a tight end. He might have to be that slot receiver that, that USC is using in Drake London. It's just we don't know exactly what they're going to do this year. I wrote on com that it's hard to say because last year, Eric Cromenhoek was the only consistently available tight end. Josh Follow was injured for much of the year. Daniel Amatabebe wasn't uh, at USC. Jude Wolf and Ethan Ray were simultaneously recovering from injury and also redshirting. So I don't even know if we saw the full plan for tight ends. If you wanted, If you're a tight end lover and you want to be optimistic, this is the take you take. Maybe we didn't see the full plan for tight ends because all they had was Eric Cromenhoek, and Eric Cromenhoek's strength really was that H-back role. I liked the way they used him. I mean, looking from 2018 to 2019, the improvement in that individual player just by them moving him into a position where he could actually thrive was huge. So in that case, like I didn't mind that Eric Cromenhoek was not receiving the ball because the job that he was doing. But you can't say the same thing about Josh Follow. You won't be able to say the th- same thing about Jude Wolf, and you certainly won't be able to say th- say the same thing about Jack Airy, these guys who are more natural pass-cashing options. So the tight end is going to be a position that we have to pay attention attention to in, in, in the spring and the fall. But at the very least, you know, <laughs> USC got somebody. Yeah, and I think I think really the the thing that it comes down to is yeah Cromenhook fits the offense better as that blocking tight end he only caught a few passes this year you did see Fallow split out wide every once in a while and so he did he did uh have that position at times and that's going to be the difficult thing for tight ends on USC's roster is there really is only one spot I mean if you count the H back there's two but there's no glory in that spot you're you're a blocker so if you want to be a receiving tight end there's only one spot out there for you to be on the field and there's a lot of guys who can fill, fulfill that position right now when you're talking about wide receivers that are big enough to drop down and play that role or the tight ends that are already on the roster. So uh, there's a, there's going to be a ton of competition for that spot heading into next fall. And with a lot of different sort of vaguely different body types, because you're right, Kyle Ford is big enough to play that spot. Dude looks like a tight end himself. So it'll be, again, something to watch. But uh, one position that USC was hoping to shore up on signing day with a player who would have fit the the scheme perfectly in the sense of being able to catch the ball out of the backfield was Mike Drennan. 
uh, the all-purpose back from Dublin, Ohio. He's a four-star number 246 nationally, six all-purpose back. And this one is for Michael, who is uh, who is not here. He was all excited about the prospect of USC getting Michael Drennan because then he could make a Mike Drennan joke, which I dropped that line to Keely Yor of USCFootball.com on Wednesday when I was uh, – I went to the the USCFootball.com meetup that they had over at uh, Rock and Riley's, and Keeley stared at me blankly. So I don't know that everyone in the audience will get the by Menon joke, but that one's Michael's. I I was under strict orders to to drop it in. <laughs> Either way, Mike Drennan uh, picked Kentucky over USC, so no future Mike Drennan drop will be coming, unfortunately. Uh, and the big talking point on Twitter was. How bad is USC recruiting if they're losing recruits to Kentucky? Yeah, that's that's uh, it's a bad look uh, for the program. But at the same time, I think that's that's realistically where USC is at right now. They and it's it's not that necessarily. Hey, let's compare to these other programs. Where are we at versus them? Because Kentucky actually had a nice year considering all the quarterback injuries they had. They had Lynn Bowden running wild on everyone as a wildcat quarterback, but. Really, for USC, this last stretch of recruiting, they're trying to get in on guys that they basically told you weren't good enough or we didn't want you for months and months and months. And then when they struck out on all of the guys that they did actually want, okay, now we're going to come give you a bunch of attention. We're going to we're going to come give you the offer. We're going to, hey, this is USC. We we can make you into a player. And I just that's USC's not in a position to do that right now. Maybe maybe when you're rolling and it's like, oh, yeah, this this school from across the country is somewhat like Clemson. This school from across the country is rolling. And if I can go be a part of that and prove myself, then this is a great opportunity for me. But I mean, I think at this point, uh, someone from the east side of America is going to say, well, maybe I can stay a little closer to home at Kentucky also have a good chance to play and be a part of a program that I have a fairly sure idea of some type of stability there. I mean, USC is still fighting stability questions on a daily basis. And I just think that's really what we're dealing with is a multitude of issues that drive USC recruiting down right now. Yeah, it's a perfect storm of making it difficult to pick USC. And I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of these are the guys that USC struck out in this portion of the of the recruiting cycle which there were only a few there but they struck out on everybody they extended a couple offers to some quarterbacks struck out on those guys um there were multiple running backs they were going after struck out on them so a lot of that i think comes down to this is why you need to be avid recruiters from day 1 when you have part-time recruiters or you have guys who aren't putting in 100% effort in recruiting year round you're not keeping contact with all of your backup plans while they're your backup plans. USC has gotten in the habit, I think, of when they have their guy, they have their guy and they get caught in this sort of false sense of security. And then when the rug gets pulled out from under them, they have nowhere else to turn. They have nowhere else to go. And that's how you end up with signing day coming around. You're looking at Mike Drennan being the only salvageable part of your of your class and Mike Drennan turns you away. Well, can you really blame him? Kentucky had been the favorite for him back, you know, in August and September. So USC was fighting uphill battles with pretty much everyone that they were going after because they didn't have great relationships with them from the start. So USC really only has themselves to blame. And what they have themselves to blame for is just a truly 
truly substandard class. And I find it hard to discuss the recruiting class in a way that's respectful to the players that are in it. And I don't want it to come off as though like Gary Bryan Jr. couldn't turn into a hell of a player for you for USC. I don't want to act like Kobe Pepe, who was the defensive player in the year in uh, in for California D1, I think, um, couldn't become something great for USC. I think there are players in this team. Jonah Monheim has, has a ton of po- uh, potential. Um, any one of those offensive linemen that USC brought in could hit it big. Jack Yeri could be a great tight end for USC. So I don't want to act like none of these guys will make it. I think a handful of them will do just fine, will turn out to be better than people think they will be. And USC won't be, you know, fielding absolute scrubs uh, down the line. But objectively, this is a very, very, very substandard recruiting class in terms of national rank and in terms of just sort of the metrics that we that we judge these things by. Uh, no, nowhere is that more clear than in the national rank. Last time I opened this page, USC was 54th. I just opened it again. They're number 55 in the country. Uh, in uh, in the 24-7 sports composite. So they're falling. Um, they're 10th in the Pac-12. Washington State and Arizona are the only teams that were worse than them, and they weren't too far behind USC either, while there was a huge gap between USC and the next worst, uh, which was, I believe, Cal at, like, number 38. So it's it's just not a good look for USC. To be fair to USC, it is a small recruiting class. There are only 13 signees in this. But at the same time, Clay Hilton is out there saying that they knew they were only going to stick at 83 scholarships as though or or that they were only going to add 13 players as though they planned to have these 13 players and these 13 players alone, which I don't think sits well with with USC fans at all. But there's also a a sense of what can Clay Hilton say to explain this this class. And we got a tweet from Lee, which kind of – raises the, the exact question, how does USC recover from the worst recruiting class in the history of the program? Yeah, and I think that there is nothing that Clay Helton can say at this point. Uh, there's no point in saying anything publicly. There's, I mean, it just it has to be better, um, and it's not to be disrespectful to the players in the class uh, because it's a great honor to you know get a college scholarship and play football anywhere, and when it's USC, that's just icing on the cake. And there's there's something to filling the need and – uh, they definitely did that by bringing in some linemen. I mean, I'm all for linemen coming into USC. That's that's awesome. Uh, it's just those top-end guys that you miss out on that are really going to agitate people. I mean, when we're talking about recruiting classes, Lane Kiffin had small classes, and they were still national, very highly nationally ranked. So uh, don't tell me small class is the only issue there. And as far as recovery, the only way you're going to recover is to, A, start – have a better plan when it comes to recruiting. I mean, it is it is clear that the plan in recruiting is uh, substandard. It, it's a little lazy. It, it almost looks like and adding some adding some recruiting support staff is definitely going to help. There, Mike, which Bo- they're doing. Yeah, Mike Bone is definitely investing in the program in that way. So having more people around to make more contact is good, and that's that's step one. And then two is to have better success on the field and or have a lot worse or, you know, or play worse and finally have a coaching change. I mean, that the instability is killing USC in terms of trying to recruit top players where it's like, how do I even trust that you're going to be here the next time I talk to you? And 
especially when the entire national media or someone else is saying, well, you should be gone. You're, you're going to be gone by October. So I think that's the, a couple things where Clay Helton needs to go out and have that great season to give himself some more job security and then say, Hey, we can win. We can go to a Pac-12 title game and win it and then go play in the Rose bowl or whatever bowl they can make. And that'll turn recruiting around. But I don't know, right, right now it, it starts with having a better plan and putting in uh, some more effort into bringing in these players. Yeah. And Trent, you shared with me a tweet from Bill Connolly on uh, on Twitter that was looking at the the biggest regression from 2019's multi-year recruiting rankings, and USC was second worst with a with a negative 21.6 percent uh, regression. So, it, the the unfortunate side of this is that these recruiting failures that USC has these the, the, and the need for them to get on top of it sooner, the damage has kind of already been done for, for at least for these last two classes. That's a big drop off. For USC in terms of the, I think it's a, I think he does a five-year recruiting average. Mm-hmm. That's a, a large dip that USC is going to have to deal with uh, in the next couple of years. Yeah, essentially, you need to hit a home run in this next class to uh, to st- stabilize the program two years down the line. I mean, you're you're talking need a top five class or something like that to where you're playing young players a couple years down the road when the guys who you're going to be relying on this year are all going to be leaving in the next two years. And then the roster is, is not quite as talented as it has been. Yeah. And well, this is <laughs> what, what is USC going to do next time around? I thought that this 2019 class would be an improvement. Remember we were talking about the 2018 classes. This is the worst class that's ever come around. I guess the 2019 class, that's the worst class that's ever come around. And I, I finished the 2019 season looking at things thinking, well, they'll they'll get better here. They have to get better here, and it just got worse. So, I can look at the the twenty twenty one class and say, man, USC can get way better in that class. But everyone who's committed to that class right now, you can't bank on them. You can't bank on them in the slightest, and you can't bank on USC continuing to draw in additional names because the trust that we had for USC over all those years of USC finishes strong, that trust is eroded completely, and uh, it's it's up to USC. To regain that trust, uh, USC has to get it back. It's not on us to turn around and sit here and say, well, USC is going to have this covered. I don't know that USC is going to have this covered, which is why I think there's so much anxiety from within uh, within fans and, and others around the program. Um, some of that anxiety comes from just sort of figuring out the coaching staff. And so we're going to get in to some of these, uh, the firings and the new hirings that USC has brought in in the past week uh, after this quick break. All right, Trent, uh, let's get into this. USC has made some changes, and the the funniest part of these changes is that on Monday, Monday, three days, two days before signing day, USC announces the firing dismissal, they say, of three coaches. They dismiss Greg Burns, the DB's coach, Chad Kauhaha, the defensive line coach, and Johnny Nansen, the linebacker's coach, which I cannot remember a time when a team fired coaches the week of signing day, which kind of goes to show you that USC wasn't going to touch anybody on signing day. There were no contingency plans there. Uh, but uh, but those three guys are are on the way out. Uh, what do you think about these moves? Are you, are you on board with Todd Orlando getting a clean slate or would you have kept any of these guys? 
Well, first off, let's talk about Michigan State losing their head coach the day before signing the day, day. before. I mean, that's that's insane. And it, Michigan it just, State said, "Hold my beer." Yeah, so it goes to show you that this date is really not that important, to be honest. But uh, if if we're looking at the the firings, uh, the toughest one for me is Greg Burns. Um, he came in, and I thought he did an excellent job with the defensive backfield, where. We all thought that was going to be a weak point for the team coming into the season because they were just frankly so young. And you're looking at the defensive line and the linebacking core and saying, yeah, they they should uh, be able to help out these young guys maybe early on so they get their feet wet. But, I mean, almost from the get-go, it was the secondary that you had more faith in than the front six or seven. So Greg Burns losing his job was was a pretty tough one to see. Um, I understand wanting to have your own guys and – Hopefully Todd Orlando does have a good, a solid replacement and he, that replacement's able to build on what Greg Burns was doing and you don't see any drop off in the secondary. Uh, but yeah, that, that one, that one was a little harsh, uh, especially after doing what appeared to be a really good job. Um, as far as the other, the other two go, um, anytime anyone loses their job, it's not, it's not a comfortable thing to talk about, but uh, their, their units, did not perform up to what we thought they could. Um, if anything, the defensive line was kind of stagnant. And the linebackers were awful uh, compared to what the expectations were. And so those those two are completely understandable, especially when Todd Orlando is going to be working with the linebackers. Um, that, that kind of squeezes Johnny Nansen out of uh, any type of role outside of recruiting, which didn't go very well this year. And uh, Chad Kauhaha, um, again, decent job. Uh, with the linemen, but I just think there could be more there. So giving Todd Orlando a clean slate in that spot is is good with me. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, I'm a big fan of a defensive coordinator getting to come in and, and make their own hires. And the interesting thing that I that I want to see is what are those hires? So you fired a DB's coach, a defensive line coach, an interior defensive line coach. And a linebackers coach, inside linebackers. I guess he'd done outside linebackers too. He'd pretty much coached everything, Johnny Nansen. But uh, what positions will they replace them with is is the question that I'm really asking. We know, and we're going to talk a, a little bit about uh, Craig Niver and and John David Baker. But we know that that our Orlando has identified Craig Niver as his safeties coach. But in the past, he, Orlando has used a safeties and a cornerbacks coach. So I'm I'm low key curious why Greg Burns couldn't stay on. As a cornerbacks coach, uh, considering the job that he did with the corners and also considering the fact that for most of the 2019 season, Burns was coaching the cornerbacks and Chris Hawkins was handling the safeties. I mean, those those duties were more or less split. So uh, it, it would make sense if Orlando kept Burns on in that position. But I don't know if he's going to employ a cornerbacks coach. I don't know if he's just going to um, split linebacker duties or split defensive line duties, however they go. I don't know if they're going to hire a special teams coach, but uh, I, I'm with you. Greg Burns, I think, did enough. He was the only defensive coach that I felt did enough to, to keep his job. Chad Kay, I love him interviewing him. Excellent. But nothing about that defense, defensive line told me that he, that he was getting anything extra out of those players. And Johnny Nansen, the only reason to keep Johnny Nansen around was the the connection in recruiting. And as we just talked about, the recruiting class clearly didn't reflect Johnny Nansen doing what he needed to do to keep his job, for instance. So USC uh, has three on the way out, and they bring two in, officially at least. So we've got Craig uh, Niver, 
who uh, that Niver is spelled N-A-I-V-A-R. And I'm upset because that's a way complicated uh, spelling for a name that's just Niver, which I'm going to stumble over every every time I say it. But, you know, to each his own. And then John David Baker as the tight ends coach. So uh, Niver was somebody who worked with Todd Orlando in Texas, in Houston. He has a long track record in the state of, of Texas. John David Baker, this is his first assistant coaching job. Uh, he has been with Graham Harrell. Uh, he's followed Graham Harrell from North Texas and was another one of those quality control assistants that were essentially position coaches already. So they have him move over and, and work with tight ends. Um, how do we feel about uh, about about these two? Do you know anything about about Niver or how he might uh, fit into Orlando's scheme? Um, I'm definitely I'm definitely not as up to date on exactly their history or what they've been doing um, at other schools. I know that Todd Orlando's got to be a guy who's looking for something specific from his uh, defensive coaches because his system has been in place for a long time, and so he's going to be looking for coaches that. Um, have his players play the way that he needs them to play based on his scheme. Now, this, the safeties are going to be aggressive in this defense. There's a lot of defensive back black, uh, defensive back blitzing within this uh, within this defense, and so you're going to be looking at a safety group with Talanola Hufunga and Isaiah Polamau, who are both pretty good tacklers, dynamic around the ball. Um, you're going to be looking for those two to be making plays in the backfield as well as uh, patrolling the secondary. Um, the big thing that I, big takeaway that I get from these coaches is you're getting more, t- more and more Texan every year. And it's, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's something that you don't know how that re- affects recruiting because you start losing some of those ties to the state of California, some of those relationships, and that can make it tough uh, to get into schools and uh, talk to the places that, you normally had no problem with. So you don't know if Texas is going to become more of a a place of influence within recruiting, or if um, they're just going to have to conform to the West coast, West coast style out here. Yeah, that's a good point. And I mean, I guess in a perfect world, right, USC starts winning again and you've now opened doors in Texas, but the problem you're going to face if you're not winning is convincing a kid from out of state to leave their home state, to come to USC a USC team that isn't particularly attractive. Yeah, you you that's going to be a, an interesting balance that they're going to have to work out. And we're still going to see who Todd Orlando brings in as his other uh coaches coaching hires. Uh expect him to to have another two that he's able to bring in obviously and he's a defensive line coach and then maybe it'll be a cornerbacks coach, maybe it'll be a linebackers coach, maybe it'll be some other some other person, but I wouldn't be surprised if we're Looking at Texas people again, just because uh, not Texas uh, Longhorns, but people from the state of Texas, because that's where Orlando and and Niver have have been for so long, and those are the two guys that are that are connected there. But John David Baker getting his first full time uh, coaching position, I think, is okay from the perspective of Graham Harrell should be able to hire who he wants, and if John David Baker was already his right hand man, then you give John David Baker a, a role on this team uh, to, to work, to continue to work with, with Graham Harrell. Whatever keeps Graham Harrell working at, at peak performance is is what I want, especially when Graham Harrell had the opportunity to leave. If Graham Harrell could up and leave and he wants to hire his best friend as an assistant coach, okay, Graham, 
you get to hire your best friend as an assistant coach. Like, I can live with that. Yeah, and you do want someone that's going to be on the same page with him as far as his offense as well. And so given their relationship working in the past, um, that can definitely be a good thing for the tight ends. Uh, you don't again, you don't really know what that looks like, even as the tight ends coach, because does that mean you're coaching the inside receiver and the H back in the backfield or what kind of is the split between uh, those responsibilities? So that's something that'll be interesting to look for moving forward. But um, really, you just hope that a couple of these guys can come in and be dynamic recruiters to help turn around, uh, turn around that aspect of the program. See, and I've heard different uh, things, conflicting things about Niver. I've heard in some places that he's a really good recruiter, and in other places it's he's not particularly, you know, that he's fine, but not he doesn't stand out. So that's going to be something to 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 note. But Don David Baker, if he has the same kind of energy as Graham Harrell, I could see him doing well and connecting with people. So that that's something to keep to keep an eye on. Speaking of tight ends, um, Trojans Live is airing as we are rec- recording this, and they had John David Baker speak on Trojans Live. Um, the folks over at uscfootball.com are live tweeting it. So uh, I'm reading directly from Shotgun Spratling's uh, tweet. Well, at first, Gerard Martinez, uh, John David Baker announces the return of Daniel, Daniel Amatabebe to the team. So we have con- confirmation um, Keely, your of uscfootball.com had reported this a few weeks back. So confirmation of that, which is good to have. And then Shotgun Spratling tweeted, John David Baker said they try to stay in 11 personnel, which is three wide receivers, one tight end, one running back as much as possible. And if they're able to do that more this year, rather than subbing in Drake London for the tight end spot, they'll be able to play with more tempo. So that's very interesting because one of the things that I've considered is that they didn't have the personnel. Like you mentioned, Josh Follow um was injured for much of the season but when he was healthy we did see him split out in that kind of Drake London role and I felt all season that they were using Drake London essentially as a pass casting tight end to begin with so maybe when they have a modern baby when they have follow healthy when they have Jude Wolf or 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 uh Jackie Airy when any, any of these guys that John David Baker his role as a tight ends coach might be able to be the thing that unlocks the tight end in this offense because the tight end assistant coach had sort of been just like, you know, John Baxter's side project. I don't know how much effort he put in with that position, aside from the blocking stuff, which obviously sort of worked for them. But uh, that that is something that, uh, that John David Baker has now said, that they want to stay in one formation and not sub as much, which means if you have you can have the tight end out there uh, in that in that sort of slot spot. And still be able to all run all the run plays that you want to do and still be able to run your offense in in the form, the pure form, I guess, that you want to run it uh, with a tight end involved there uh, as a pass catcher. But we'll see if we'll see if that comes. Uh, John David Baker definitely answering that question, though, uh, on that uh, on that Trojans live uh, broadcast. Do you have any do you have any thoughts about about USC in, in staying in 11 personnel and and if that's the right way to go, or would you rather see USC mix it up? Um, I'm okay with I'm okay with the eleven personnel. Um, you see it, you see it worked uh, to a good effect for like the Rams in the NFL. Like they stay in the same personnel uh, and then switch it up. I just I really wonder what that looks like for a college team that stays in shotgun all the time, and you know you really don't see as much variation. Uh, I would hope that that means that there will be a little more pre-snap motion and things like that, where that's where you're going to confuse the defense and create stress for them. 
Uh, but I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily love that, that they want to stay in one formation. I, I'm much more of a fan of being multiple and, and even if you know you aren't perfect at running every formation, you, you're still giving the defense a different look and getting different types of players out on the field um, to to challenge them in different ways. I don't know. It's not my favorite thing in the world, but uh, Graham Harrell definitely did a great job last season. And so I think he deserves at least some benefit of the doubt heading into next year. Although when you're when you're talking about going at Nick Saban with one look, that doesn't thrill me. <laughs> that's fair and yeah I guess I mean in a perfect world yeah you want to play with tempo but who is that one tight end because if that one tight end is Eric Cromenhoek you're you're setting your offense up in a different way if that one tight end is Josh Follow you're also setting your your offense up in a very different way I don't know that USC has an interchangeable tight end in there yet unless they see Jude Wolf being that guy or Ethan Ray being that guy but um, that is, you know, that is the the questions that we're going to have to see answered. How is USC going to be able to juggle all of their skill position players? Because they have four running backs that are all very viable. They have a lot of receivers that are all very viable. Are you telling me that they're not going to take advantage of four wide receiver sets, five wide receiver receiver sets, um, or you know, maybe not not full advantage? I, I think I think what he's saying is that they want to do that as their their sort of base look and then maybe as they go uh, swap it up but again at the same time I've heard people I've heard coaches say that they're going to do something in February and then we get to August and all of a sudden that wrinkle is gone um cough two back sets cough um but you know either way something something interesting uh to note all right, let's uh, let's move on and uh, take a quick break, and then we'll come back with the mailbag. All right, Trent, we're gonna open up the mailbag here, but first, as we took that break, you had something to say about uh, USC's strategy uh, with the with the eleven personnel and 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 the offense. Yeah, Let I it mean, rip. it it's really. I think that struck a nerve a little bit as soon as you started talking about tempo because that's that's a buzzword that I've been hearing from a Clay Helton staff the entire time he's been there. And there hasn't been any tempo to the offense hardly ever. And I think that's just really frustrating to even hear that because I'll believe it when I see it. That That's where I'm at with tempo and USC and a Clay Helton team because they can be down by – two, three scores in the fourth quarter with 10 minutes remaining, and I don't see any tempo out of them. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, there's a lot of I'll believe it when I see it moments for me this year, especially because I am a I'll give you the benefit of the doubt kind of person, but all of that has been eroded by the, the last few years of having to put up with what we've had to put up with. So my mantra for uh, this offseason is don't be a sucker, don't buy in, and – what you say right there, that is a good, that is a good, uh, Alicia, remember your motto moment because don't be a sucker. Don't buy into the idea that tempo is going to be a part of this offense until you see it. Seeing is believing. At least I think that's a perfectly fair perspective from a, from USC, uh, fans and, and the like going into the season because we have not seen a lot of things that we've been led to believe. Uh, over the past few years. But uh, let's get into this mailbag. Uh, we're going to start the mailbag off with the major response we got to the debate that US, that you and that uh, that Michael and I had 
on the last episode, which remains the like the most ridiculous hypothetical that we've ever devoted as much time as we have to it. But it's the off season, so we have nothing else to to really focus on. The possibility that USC could beat Alabama and the aftermath of 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 what that could look like. What would that look like in the polls? So I'm just going to run through a lot of the responses that we have, and then I'll get your thoughts on this, Trent, because uh, people are taking sides here, and I expect you to take the right side. <laughs> <laughs> we got an email from N the Bay Area. Michael, once again, you are wrong. USC would not jump into the top 10 with a win over Alabama. Everyone will still be skeptical of USC with only one game under their belt. They would just go to 11 and 14, 11 to 14, but not top 10. A solid win blowout in week two against Stanford would be seen as a validating win against as validating the win against Alabama. Then you can see them rising into the top 10 fight on Ed in the Bay Area. We got a tweet from Jay Nikaipa. Just listen to the podcast. Michael is crazy. We've all seen USC win and drop in the polls, and there's no way a win over Alabama would put USC in the top five. Probably not even the top 10, top 15, maybe. We got a tweet from King Camby. Sorry, Mike. Alicia is correct, and SC's ranking in the wake of an unlikely upset. They do not climb into the top 10. I predict they start unranked in 2020, so they'd rise from not ranked to 13-ish. Alabama might fall to seven, but the Trojans wouldn't come up that high. Full of nopes, Mamba out, and you, Trent, tweeted uh, very, very simply, full of nopes said 15th, Mamba out said 13th, Trent, you went with 10th. So explain yourself, sir. I just, uh, part of it depends on where USC starts in the polls, whether they're unranked or, you know, are they in that 20, 20 to 25 range? But I just think that I, I sat down and thought about it a little bit after at first thinking that Michael was completely insane for even suggesting that they'd be anywhere <laughs> near the top five. I mean, come on. But I I talked with him a little bit and then I sat down and thought about it and I was like, no, nah, they they would get to 10 if they beat Alabama. A top, you're talking the number three team in the country. There's there's Alabama hasn't lost the allure yet. So everyone has a lot of expectations for them, even with uh, Tua heading to the NFL and so if you go into Jerry World and beat Alabama, who's number three, I think you're pr- right there at number 10 right away. I mean, they're going to be looking at you as a top 10 team. And then if you string together two more wins, yeah, now I think you're a top five team. So I just – the only way that you wouldn't end up 10th if it, if it was just really ugly and everyone went, mm, neither of these teams are very good. Let's dump on Saban. Yeah, and and that's my my perspective has been it has less to do with USC and more to do with the perception of Alabama. People are ready to bury Nick Saban here, and so I my thinking was that they would view it as more of the the downfall of Alabama than the rise of USC. But I will admit I looked into some research here, and I think I was off base about being skeptical about the top fifteen. I think it is a guarantee USC would be a top fifteen team now. I say my range is somewhere from like 9 to 12. If other teams lose, then I could see USC coming up as high as 7, but it depends on other teams losing uh the the basically the the landscape of college football after that first weekend. Um just to to sort this out, the one person who agreed with Michael is Samuel in South Carolina. Uh, they said USC would be top ten, Bama would fall to seven or eight, and would be ranked would be ranked ahead of USC. Now Michael doesn't get to answer for himself here, which he had a whole rebuttal. He has a list of evidence here, ready to to make his case. So I might leave him to make his his full blown case uh, on on the next episode that he's on. But I will give you the the research that Michael did. 
Um, in 2014, number 21, Texas A&M beat number nine, South Carolina on the road, 52 to 28, and jumped to number nine with two first place votes. So that was 21 to nine. Um, in 2016, unranked Wisconsin beat number five, LSU, 16 to 14 at Lambeau Field, and they jumped up to 10. So that's a really good comparison. In 2016, also, Texas, who was unranked, beat number 10, Notre Dame, 50 to 47 in double overtime and jumped to number, to number 11. Now, I will say that that Texas team was heavily overrated because people were buying into Tom Herman in year one, majorly. That was the biggest overreaction to a game I've ever seen because, newsflash, Notre Dame is never that great. They're always good, but never that great. So never buy into the Notre Dame hype, also never buy into the USC hype, and also never buy into the Texas hype. General rules. Um, also in 2016, what a year that was. Uh, number 18, Georgia beat number something. He didn't list it. North Carolina must have been high. <laughs> 33 to 24 in Atlanta and jumped to number nine. In 2018, number 25, LSU beat number eight, Miami, 33 to 14 at Jerry World, and they jumped to number 11. So there is precedence for teams that are unranked or ranked up in the 20s to jump up towards the top 10, but not the top five. Michael can expound on that uh, later on if he sh- if he so wishes. I think we've come to a happy medium, and I look forward to not having to pull the receipts from that particular discussion out in September because... Trent, we all agree USC ain't beaten Bama. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that that uh, conspiracy theory to Michael as well because I think he's cooking something up. But <laughs> um, you know, I think right now it's easy to say that in February, but as we creep towards uh, you know June, July, August, we're gonna hey, you know, they look pretty good in spring camp. Oh, hey, fall camp's been really good. Hey, why, hey, Keaton Slovis, he's really made a jump. So. I think people are going to start talking themselves into it. And that's, hey, don't be a sucker. So, yeah, don't be a sucker. Don't buy in. Michael, Michael has made the point to me several times. And I think it's a valid point that as soon as national media folks start doing their their previews, their team previews, they're going to get a look at USC and they're going to fall in love. Um, A returning quarterback who had the freshman campaign that Keaton Slovis had. That's mouthwatering to national media. Um, 17, I think, returning starters. Uh, mouthwatering to national media. Only seven seven graduating seniors. Mouthwatering to national media. So I think, and and then, then you add in the positive spin that Todd Orlando is going to bring to the defense coming out of spring camp. Um, I think there is a chance that people start to get on board with this USC team to the point where USC might actually be ranked going into the season. Yeah, they they might be ranked going into the season, and but the one thing you want to keep an eye on is. What are the expectations for Todd Orlando game one? Because Mar- Maryland has happened twice to Texas in the last couple of years where they're oh, giving up man. lots and lots of points to a bad Maryland team. And That's so, a good pull. So, uh, you know, there's if, if they come out of the gates hot, then there's, hey, anything can happen. But uh, early season wasn't exactly kind to Texas the last couple of years. Well, and that's a good point. Uh, at the meetup on Wednesday, I had a chance to chat for a while with um with a guy whose name is uh was John, and John was asking me like, so, so what happens if USC gets you know bounced like seventy to nothing? Um, what it what what is the reaction to Todd Orlando if he gives up seventy points to Alabama in Week One? 
Now, obviously, 70 points is a very high total that is probably not likely. But as you were right to point out, Orlando doesn't have a great week one record and Bama could up, put up 50. We've, they've done it to USC before. So this will get uh, get interesting for sure. I guess we'll, you know, we'll continue to talk about the prospects of that. But <laughs> oh, we're going to talk it to death. There's no doubt. And we'll just keep con- convincing ourselves a little bit more each week. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's uh, I always I my big test is um, can I get to Pac-12 media days? Can I get to Pac-12 media day without falling into the into the trap of, you know, USC could be good. USC, USC could be good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, we got a tweet also from Joe Seahawks Joe. Uh, moving on from the from the Bama talk, Seahawks Joe asks. Why does the administration allow uh, allow full? Uh, there, I don't know if the the phrasing on this is interesting. Why does the administration allow this? There it is. That was my my bad. Fult understood what basketball meant to UNC. Football is that, and and some at SC. How does this happen, um, Trent? How how does this happen? And do you think Carol Fult is to blame for USC the the state they're in right now? The, the further removed that we get from the decision, the more that I'm of the belief that I actually do believe that Mike Mike Bone was stuck between a rock and a hard place, that he had the money to fire Clay Helton and not invest in the program, or he had the money to keep Clay Helton and invest in the program. So it's really, it's really, really tough to know um, exactly – what he should have done, and I mean, getting Clay Helton out of there uh, was was definitely the right move if you can afford it. Um, if if you want, but at the same time, if you're not going to be able to bring in any kind of coach that inspires confidence, I'm just not in favor of that. To be honest, I know things are really negative right now, but investing in this program and turning it more into a in like making it more like the national powers at this stage is also really important. I mean, they're lagging behind in a lot of areas that make schools attractive to players, boosters, all those things. So there, there's a lot of problems that Mike bone has to deal with as he comes into managing USC. And so from an administration standpoint, if you want to blame anyone, keep sending it back to Lynn Swan, like that's, or even Pat Hayden, like look at those guys before we turn our backs on Mike bone, because Lynn Swan's the one that allowed this contract to happen where you have this buyout that's unconscionable to me. Um, I, it, it's a fireable offense on on its own. Um, so that's that's really where I'm at with this whole situation. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Um, I was disappointed by by whoever was involved in the retaining of Clay Hilton this past year. I think they made a mistake. But I have always said that I understand how you talk yourself into that. And while I think it's a mistake, I also don't think it's a death nail for this administration. They have an opportunity going forward to fix the problems, and they are bigger than Clay Helton. So fix those problems and get USC off. Uh, do what you can. And, and I think that that's uh, the challenge because I don't know how long it'll take to fix those problems and get, get back on track. But as an AD, you're looking not – for one year, you're looking for the next ten years. So let let's see what they do. Is I, I'm I'm still wait and see. I think uh, USC fans should look at it from a perspective of 
give them a chance to fix the problem that they have exacerbated because they came in under a very difficult circumstances and we'll see how they do. Um, you know, we can't know. We can't know what the support staff investments will yield. We can't know if they have a plan for making a new coaching hire down the road. We we, we can't know for now. It, it does have to be wait and see. Um, okay, we're going to end this thing with a tweet from Jay, which, uh, again, Michael's not here to defend himself, but Trent, you and I are, are neutral observers. Maybe we can we can decide on this. What's worse, USC's signing day or Michael's food takes? Thanks, Jay and Yakaipa. <laughs> well, from the time that I've been around Michael, he's he's just a picky guy who developed some really strange habits over the years as far as food goes. Um, doesn't necessarily offend me as a not as picky as Michael and definitely not as uh, vehemently against certain things, but uh, and then I look at USC signing day and um, yeah, it's USC signing day. That's, that's what it comes down to. See here. Here's the thing. Michael's food takes are horrendous. They are awful, but in the long run, like they don't actually impact us, right? Like, I don't have to eat the way Michael eats. You don't have to eat the way Michael eats. You know, we can enjoy the foods that we like. I get to eat gravy as much as I want. And I get to eat, drink orange juice as much as I want. And I get to have my food touching on a plate uh, at Thanksgiving and all that kind of stuff. And you like Michael's, bacon. And I like bacon and everything else that he doesn't like, which is a lot of things. Um, <laughs> but him not liking those things, you know, it's fine. He doesn't eat eggs. I love eggs. I still get to eat my eggs. USC's recruiting class, USC's signing day actually impacts my life. Like it impacts my enjoyment of USC. It impacts the future of USC and thus my future enjoyment of USC. So objectively, USC having the 55th best slash, you know, the 55th ranked, which is the worst class in USC history, matters a whole lot more. Definitely worse. Yep, without a doubt, I agree. I wish I could stand up and yell and beat on the table that you're wrong, but no, this <laughs> this signing this whole signing experience that's my may might be what we call it uh, has been has been a real grind, and it doesn't make it very much fun to cover or talk about. Yeah, yeah, that's that's for sure. Well, I hope I hope people enjoyed this episode for what it's worth. I mean, like we said, it's not that fun, not 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 super fun content, but uh, hopefully engaging uh, to a point. I want to thank Trent uh, for joining me on this episode. You can find him on Twitter at tgood underscore four underscore four. One of these days, I'm going to get that right. I should have had it written in front of me. Michael's going to yell at me for not being prepared at tgood underscore four. Uh, underscore four. Uh, he is excellent on Twitter, always, uh, you know, tweeting out random observations or or opinions or analysis that is uh, really, really valuable. So go check him out. You can also read his stuff over on com. I am, of course, at Penguin of Troy on Twitter, and you can also find my stuff at com. Um, as always, we're looking for people to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, uh, go leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, the reviews are our life force. They feed us and uh, literally <laughs> and uh, and we very much appreciate uh, appreciate your support. I uh, hope you guys all are able to enjoy your weekend. Uh, take a break from having to watch USC. Take take solace in the fact that you didn't have to like lose work hours on this Wednesday because you were so focused on watching what USC was doing your employers 
are certainly very, very happy about that. And uh, maybe that makes your life a little bit easier. Uh, One can only hope. So thanks as always for listening, guys. And we will catch you guys later. See ya. Jake Garcia, 2021. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.